Hi and welcome to my podcast. It's Saturday evening for me. I'm sitting in my living room. It's dark outside already. So it's quite the cozy night in, which means it's time for me to record a new episode. If you listened to last week's episode about personality, then first of all, I'd like to say a big thank you for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed it. And secondly, you might remember that I promised to make my next episode a bit lighter again and less demanding for all those gray nerve cells in your brain. This is why for this week I've chosen a rather fun and easy digestible topic because I want to introduce to you seven common psychological effects. Seven psychological effects, here we go. The first effect is the placebo effect. And this is probably the most well-known effect out of them all. Um, So you probably know what the placebo effect is, but just in case you don't, I'm going to explain it quite shortly. So um, the typical example comes from treatment testing. Um, Imagine that we have this new drug that's supposed to make you lose weight. Great drug, I know. And then we need to test if the drug is actually doing what it's supposed to do. The way we do this is by recruiting participants and dividing those participants into two groups. Now, the first group will receive the actual drug that's supposed to make you lose weight. And the second group will receive another drug that has no effect at all. So... What should happen is that people of the second group experience no changes at all. However, it can happen that someone in the second group actually reports that they lost weight, and this is because of the placebo effect. Just because of pure belief something will happen, um, because this pure power of mind and belief makes your body change in a certain way. And this is the placebo effect. The second effect is the spotlight effect, which is, to be honest, my personal favorite. And when I heard about the spotlight effect the first time, I felt like so many things are now explained to me and it really uh, gave me some peace of mind, especially when it comes to embarrassing situations. Every one of us gets them, those little embarrassing moments in our life when we slipped on the stairs or tripped on the street and we just hope no one saw this happening. The good news is that people actually did not pay as much attention towards us as we believe they did. So the spotlight effect says that we overrate how much attention others pay towards us. Of course, we are the center of our own attention all the time. We focus on what's going on with us all the time because we can't really escape our own body. However, there is a great disparity between the view we have on ourselves and the view others have on us. That means that actually the things we do are not as um, noticed by others and... You know, if you were just wearing your shirt inside out all day again, the good news is really that not as many people noticed as you may believe. So it's okay, you didn't make a complete fool of yourself, that's fine. On the other hand, um, the counterpart to the spotlight effect is of course that this also goes for positive behavior or positive situations. So for example, when you made this very clever 
argument or had this very cool idea or this very funny joke and then you are a bit frustrated because people didn't really give you the credit you deserve for it. They didn't really notice you made this comment and joke and you feel underappreciated. This is also due to the spotlight effect because people don't actually pay as much attention towards us as we believe they do. The third effect is the halo effect and the halo effect means that we tend to associate something that we perceive as beautiful and attractive to us, for us, we assume this is something good. So if something appeals to us aesthetically, we tend to associate it with something good and believe that this is something good. In research, it's been shown that when it comes to ratings of attractiveness for people, actually, we tend to believe that someone who's more attractive is also more successful and more popular than someone who's not as attractive. Also, it's been shown that we blame someone who's more attractive, we blame them less for their failures and we are more likely to forgive them compared to someone who's not as attractive. This sounds incredibly cruel and I promise I didn't make that up. That are actually results of studies. It's incredibly unfair, incredibly cruel towards everyone who's not as blessed with beauty. Um, and yeah, this is just something we do uh, stemming from evolution probably. So the most prominent theory explaining the halo effect is basically saying that this is an evolutionary so we've learned from experience that what is attractive to us is also good for us in most cases. So it's kind of a learned association and we just overgeneralize this. Um, be aware of it to try to not actually be biased and be blinded by beauty, especially when it comes to product purchases as well. So when you purchase a product, it's quite likely that you uh, kind of judge the product by its packaging and you tend to buy the more beautiful apple and not the apple that has some spots because you believe the apple that's immaculate is better for you. However, they're actually both the same and it's got nothing to do with the outside packaging. Um, the content is still for both the same. Um, and sometimes this can happen that you buy a product because it looks nice and then you go home, you realize, wow, this product is shit. Why did I buy that? And this was just some, um, marketing person being very successful, employing the halo effect on you and tricking you into buying this shit product. So be aware of the halo effect. Right. The fourth effect is the framing effect. The framing effect is all about decision making. Now, when you're given two options, you could assume that you will make your decision very objectively and that you will always make the same decision when given the same two options. Well, you're wrong on that one because the way you make your decision very much depends on the presentation of the options. So it all depends on the framing. If something is framed in a positive way, you're going to decide for it. But if it's framed in a negative way, you will decide against it. And this is actually true. So we're very, very, very um, susceptible to this framing effect and we don't really make our decisions very scientifically or very objectively at all. 
Now, for example, when it comes to buying food, you get food that says, oh, it's 30% less fat in this yogurt. And then you're more likely to actually decide for this yogurt and compare to yogurt that says this yogurt contains 70% fat. I'm not sure if this is a real example, but, you know, I'm, I'm basically wanting to make my point there with, you know, um, containing 70% fat or 30% less fat is technically the same. However, 30% less fat sounds a bit better, more positive, um, and this is why we would go for this option rather than the option that says 70% fat content. Right. So the bottom line is that we are very susceptible to the framing effect and to the way um, a decision or two options are framed and we don't really make our decisions very objectively at all, unfortunately. Right, the next effect is the serial positioning effect. The serial positioning effect is concerning your memory, specifically a memory bias. You might know this saying that the first impression matters, and this is very true. Because due to the serial positioning effect, we are more likely to remember what's presented in the beginning compared to the information presented in the middle. We're actually also remembering things that are being said at the very end or presented at the very end. We're more likely to remember that um, compared to the information that's presented in the middle. So you can tell people about some weird story in the middle of your presentation as long as your arguments at the beginning and at the end are very compelling and are very strong, then you'll be good. Because the other people, your audience, will just forget what you said in the middle bit. And I'm telling you about the serial positioning effect now in the middle of my episode, so please remember about this one. Please don't forget it. Um, don't just remember the effects I told you at the very beginning and at the very end. Um, the middle bit is actually also important for this episode. Anyway, the serial positioning effect for you, seeing that we are more likely to remember what's being said at the beginning and what's being said at the end of something. And the reason for this comes from how your memory is structured and is working. So basically, the information that's presented at the very beginning is the information that's retained best in your long-term memory because it's got the longest time to be reversed and be retained in long-term memory. On the other hand, information that's presented at the end of something is the information that sticks best in your short-term memory. So because um, this is the information that still is present in your short-term memory, you're also more likely to remember it. So keep that in mind next time you're going to structure an argument and trying to persuade someone because you should put the strongest argument either at the beginning or at the end and in the middle bit you can just blab around a bit because it's, it's not that important. It won't be remembered as um, nicely. Right. The second last effect I want to introduce to you is the bystander effect. The bystander effect is about your helping behavior and it basically says that the more people are present at an emergency situation, the less likely you are to actually intervene and help. 
This sounds very counterintuitive because one could believe that the more people are present at an emergency situation, the higher the chance to actually get help from someone. But that's not true at all. Turns out that you need... um. You, you want to have not as many people present in your emergency because then it's more likely that actually someone will step in and help you. Um, and it's the question, why do we do this? Like, why does the bystander effect happen? Why do we tend to not help or offer our help when there are more people present in the scene? The reason for this is stemming from the fact that helping behavior as such and our decision to help comes from a calculation of risk and benefits involved. So we always calculate the risk and benefit um, associated with a certain behavior and then we decide if we will engage in this behavior or not. When it comes to helping, um, risks that are associated with helping are something like personal damage that could be received as well, or something like an energy and time constraint, or, um, you know, we have to invest energy and give some time that we might not have at this point. Um, But the benefit, of course, are that we receive reward and credit for our helping, and that we can calm down our own feeling of guilt. However, when there are more people present in an emergency situation, it's quite likely that um, the benefits are not calculated as high and uh, the risks are calculated as higher in the sense that, you know, we believe because there are so many other people, someone else will step in and help. So we don't actually have to um, yeah, waste our time or kind of like give up the time and energy that we don't have at this stage and because someone else will just help we are sure of that and then we don't feel as guilty so you know uh, the kind of calculation works out in that way anyway that brings us to the last uh, psychological effect i want to introduce to you this is the confirmation bias so the confirmation bias is again an effect that just tells us and makes us aware how poorly we make decisions and how biased we are because we are actually not as great as scientists as we believe we are not as objective as we think we are because we are very biased so the confirmation bias um, basically constitutes that we tend to look for evidence supporting our own belief and knowledge instead of looking for counter evidence So we tend to focus on the things that confirm what we already thought is going on instead of looking for alternatives. So in this way, we get a very one-sided point of view um, and we ignore that there could be alternatives because we don't really look for them. We just look for things that go in line with our beliefs that we already have. And this happens to the best of us. This happens to scientists, it happens to politicians, it happens to big companies, and it leads to poor decision-making because we are just seeing this one side of the coin instead of considering both alternatives. And I'm I'm also, I'm, I'm a victim of the confirmation bias. Um, so sorry, guys, if sometimes I don't give you enough um, alternative views on things. Um, it's, it's very hard for every one of us to overcome this particular 
bias. And the reason for this is because searching for um, alternatives and things that are against our own beliefs actually requires more cognitive capacity um, for processing information. And this is why we just tend to look for things that confirm what we believe because this requires not as much capacity in our brain and it's easier for us to do that. So that's why we're just being a bit, you know, lazy and look for the things that support what we already thought is going on. Right. I hope this was some kind of fun for you and now it's up to you to, you know, make something with those seven effects I told you about um, to apply them in your everyday life or maybe consider some things you're doing and seeing them in a different light. It's up to you what you make of this information now. And um, on that note, um, I'll see you again next time and I appreciate any feedback as always, of course. So have a good evening, a good day, a good morning, whatever time it is when you're listening to this.